This is Harvest Bible Chapel, Joliet. Our passion is leading people into a life-transforming, joy-filled relationship with God. Today's message is brought to you by one of our guest speakers. For more information about our church, we invite you to visit us online at harvestjoliet.org. It is uh, such an honor and a privilege to be back with you. Uh, That either means, you know, to be back a second time is really great, because that either means I didn't do so awful the first time, or you're just that gracious of a church to give me a second chance, and either way, I'll take it. Uh, This is a beautiful, beautiful church. It's a beautiful church, and I'm not talking about uh, the new uh, lobby, I'm not talking about the Christmas decorations. Uh, I'm not talking about the beautiful team. Uh, Having led worship for many years, I I trust you know how blessed you are for a team through the holidays to show up in that kind of numbers. Uh, We struggled to get enough uh, members with people traveling and whatnot over the last couple weeks at our church. And uh, to have them come out in negative weather early in the morning and serve you so beautifully like that. Isn't that awesome? But even uh, the praise time is not why this is a beautiful church. Harvest Joliet is really a beautiful church because it is a gathering. It's a gathering of people, uh, healthy, sick, rich, poor, black, white, gathered together, unified in Jesus Christ, and you are the beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. And it's so, so uh, much of an honor and a privilege to worship with you this morning. Well, have you, Harvest Julia, have you ever seen the show Fixer Upper? Don't leave me alone. Yeah, yeah so they, they watch that show here too. My wife is uh, so into that show, so therefore I am too. And uh, it's, it's a really great show. They take a really, really rough home and, and uh, they renovate it into something beautiful. You know what I'm talking about on that show? It's, it's a kitchen that just looks rough and then it's beautiful and the front of the house is a complete transformation. And so you see this radical change of a home and then they live happily ever after. And so we love shows like that. Uh, for those who are in Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And we sang about this so beautifully this morning. He's changing us. We're not the same as when he called us through Christ to himself. God is doing soul renovation inside of us that is changing who we are, radically changing who we are into a new person. A less like this world and more like Jesus Christ. Changing us. And he invites us into that process to be a part of that through faith in obedience to Christ. And every single day, even negative, chill temperatures, you are the brave for being here this morning. Uh, We drove my son Jacob and I from uh, Sycamore, Illinois, about an hour and 15 minutes. And I would say the car was almost warmed up by the time we got here. (laughs) Every single day is a new opportunity to Put off that old person and those sinful ways and to put on that new person, that Christ-like reflection. You say, what if I'm failing at that? I trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I sing the song when we all get to heaven. What a beautiful day that'll be. I sang with the church. I, I want that, but what if I'm failing? 
What if I'm struggling to put my sin to death or a certain sin has a hold on me and I can't seem to put it to death? Well, if you would, turn to Ephesians 4 this morning. Ephesians 4. Our church has been going through uh, the book of Ephesians. And as you're turning to chapter 4, let me just tell you how chapter 3 finishes. If you're struggling to put off the old and to put on the new, listen to what the end of Ephesians chapter 3 says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear that? Do you hear how that chapter ends? That, that, that means this, God's doing the heavy lifting. He invites you into a process, he's doing the heavy lifting. And living a radically transformed life in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that this morning. And uh, in this text this morning, in chapter 4, that can be captured in just two points. Can you hang with me for two points this morning? Two points. Um, now my two points are just as long as my four points were last time, but that's just a secret between you and I. I promise you, if um, we can grab hold of this text, though, through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, and I believe that we can, and then um, you're going to see in these two points that there is the possibility of experiencing a much more transformed life in Jesus Christ, putting off the old, putting on the new. Uh, but before we do that together, let's pray and ask God to speak through his word. And Father, we humbly come before you, so moved by the time of worship that we had together, so drawn to that day when we will see your son, our Lord, face to face, Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And we wait patiently and we abide for that day and yet even now we know that you're preparing us for that day. That we are being transformed from glory to glory less like this world, and more like the beautiful image of Jesus Christ. So be Christ in us as you transform us, work in us and through us, and strengthen this, your church, your bride, by the authority of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We all pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4, we're going to begin in verse 17, and before we do, to give a little context uh, to this section, you got to understand about the culture that the Ephesians live in. Uh, commentators have said regarding this culture that historically, historically speaking, it was a very sexualized culture, and uh, there was a rampant uh, sex outside of marriage, uh, there was uh, homosexuality, uh, idolatry, uh, pervasive in that culture, many Greek boys were actually um, ushered into manhood through molestation. So it was a very twisted, um, sexualized culture. And all of this, this idea, this concept of the way that Greeks lived was very detestable to the Jews. They didn't like it, and so they would always think of that as those Gentiles. The way those Gentiles live. 
And you can imagine that for the early church that was first made up of Jews, before it was made up of Gentiles, it was quite a thing to bring those two groups together in harmony. And that's some of what's happening in the context of Ephesians. Interesting, however, that Paul does not call these Ephesian Christians Gentiles. Because he's making a point. They belonged to Jesus Christ, and therefore they were one with the church. They were one body, one people. Notice verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, the hardness, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now take note of this. Care for the diet of your mind. Care for the diet of your mind. And notice Paul's focus in verse 17. Look at, look at the focus. Verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they were darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is in them the thinking the lack of thinking and because of their wrong thinking now verse 19 they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity that idea callous it, it, it means they have become numb to how hideous their sin is they become numb to it and we may need to make a vital observation here in the text, a vital observation. A wrong thinking, incorrect thinking, leads to a callous heart, to a hard heart, which maintains a sinful lifestyle. Wrong thinking leads to a hard heart, which maintains a sinful life, a lifestyle. We have to see this now. Um, we're heading into 2018, right? That came fast, didn't it? We're heading into 2018. What my mind is set on is where my life is headed in 2018. What I put my thinking on is where I will be in 2018. Where my thinking is most engaged is where my life will follow. What we feed our minds is feeding our souls, the deepest part of who we are. Our minds, our thinking. We have to care for the diet of our mind. And I don't think the culture, the Greek culture, is too much of a stretch for us. I think this settles right in uh, present day United States of America, Western culture. This world around us is depraved in its thinking. How it thinks about things. How it sees things. People have become callous to the depravity. Not only what is wrong with that, there's no shame in it, but we celebrate it. It's a dark and hopeless state, and our culture is in desperate need for the light of the gospel. Desperate need. 
And now, in this thinking, this darkened thinking, Paul wants to, this darkened thinking, he wants to contrast that radically to a different kind of thinking. And that's where he picks it up. Notice the focus is still on the mind. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This is about thinking. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To have the way you think changed. I used to think about this this way. But now, since Christ has changed my life, I have a totally different way that I think about it. He's saying, Paul's saying, but you Ephesians, you've been taught to think about life in a radically different way. And because of that, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True radical transformation, complete change of the soul. Paul says, because you're feeding your minds with the truth of Jesus Christ, you are then taking off your old sinful patterns, you're putting them aside, you're putting them to death. Because you're thinking differently, you're living differently, and you're putting on a new self. And when your inner self is radically transformed, your outer self will reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me just illustrate it this way. There's times in our lives I've noticed... um, couple years ago when I passed the 40 marker, there's just certain things you have to start caring for a little bit more. Like you just know, you you know your body, you you know that uh, when you gain too much weight, just letting you in on my 2018 New Year's resolution, you need to cut the calories a little bit. And I hope if I'm ever invited to come back and see you guys again, I Hope there's less of me. But we know, like, this is getting harder on my knees, and this is getting harder on my back. And I I know, with the negative effects, some of us know when our blood pressure goes up, we've got to cut the sodium and maybe cut back on the caffeine, because I just know things are happening, so I've got to, or or, dare I say it, when, when certain functions struggle, you know you need to eat a little bit more fiber. Like, don't, be, don't leave me alone. You know what I'm talking about. So I would ask you this. Why is it we could be struggling in our marriage or gripped by a sinful pattern or a bad habit or an addiction or struggling to find any joy at work or struggling with relationships, or struggling to find peace and contentment in life, struggling to feel okay, and not wonder if the care and the diet of our soul might be off a little bit. Got to make some adjustments. And by the authority of God's word, I'm telling you, the care of your soul begins with the diet of your mind. The care of your soul begins with the diet of your mind. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your 
What did he say? Mind. God's condemnation in Romans chapter 1 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, let me hear you, of your mind. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Uh, with Christ in God. Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit of life is on the spirit is life and peace. Where we set our minds. We have to choose. 2018. We have to choose to set a pattern of feeding our minds with a good spiritual diet. Because we need to care for the diet of our mind. I want to be helpful because uh, some of us are thinking, okay, well, well, what are some things I'm doing that is hurting the diet of my mind? Can you be more specific? I am so glad you asked this morning. Here's five subtle ways that I'm not caring for the diet of my mind. Five subtle ways that I'm not caring for the diet of my mind. Number one, my willingness to mindfully rehearse my troubles and fears more than I rehearse God's character, love, and promises. My willingness... To rehearse my troubles in my mind. Think on my troubles. Think on my fears more than I think on God's character, his love for me, and his promises. Two, my willingness to devote my thinking to my hobby horse over God's word and gospel. My willingness to devote my thinking to my hobby horse over God's word and gospel. We all have our soapboxes. All of us. We all have our thing or our things, whether it be health food or exercise or entertainment or, or politics or our favorite blog. Uh, we all have our thing, and these things are not necessarily bad. A lot of them are very good things. But when our devotion to our hobby horse exceeds our devotion to the truth of God's word and the gospel, we're not caring for the diet of our mind. We're out of whack. It often seems to me that on social media, there are many Christians who are often more willing to work at, even fight for a hobby horse, than contend for the faith of Jesus Christ. They're not all bad things. But we'll go to war over them, but sort of just forget to rehearse how my mind needs to see Christ through his word and the working of his spirit among his people. That's where my mind needs to be. It's unhealthy when I'm willing to devote my thinking to my hobby horse over God's word and gospel. Here's another unhealthy reality for the diet of our minds. When I allow a diet of entertainment for my mind that glorifies sex, violence, or alcohol and drug abuse. When I allow a diet of entertainment for my mind that glorifies sex, violence, or alcohol and drug abuse. I think some of us need to be more honest with the Holy Spirit. We need to be more honest. And we need to put some of our entertainment to death. Oh, but it's such a great story. Oh, but it's so funny. Oh, but it's my favorite. Put it to death. 
You're polluting your mind. And please understand me this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true. As a follower of Christ, you never need to leave church, the gathering of God's people, with guilt ever because the gospel is true. But you can leave here this morning with newfound freedom. Number four, things that are unhealthy for your mind. When I listen to myself, just listen to yourself. When I merely listen to myself, just, just listen to that voice inside your head. You, you know you have your own lawyer, your own attorney, and he will go to bat for you. Let me tell you, everything you don't need to hear. Just listen to your own repeating thoughts long enough and you will be in trouble. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. God wants our thoughts to be held captive to his ways. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, that we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take our thoughts captive. We control what's coming in, what we're thinking about. How do we take thoughts captive? Hebrews 4.12 says this. The word of God can just cut right through our thoughts. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God will pierce right through you and show you what you're thinking wrong. It'll lay it out for you. We can't merely listen to ourselves, friends. We need God's word to discern our, even our own thinking. We need the word of God to reform our thinking. And that's why the fifth unhealthy thing for our minds, when I starve my mind of the word of God, most important, when I starve my mind of the word of God. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. How do you take refuge? I take refuge in the Lord through my trial. How do you do that? Well, it says his word proves true. That is our shield. That is our access to the presence of God. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Jesus said in Matthew 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I'm sure you know it. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If we were thinking correctly all the time, the text would not say the word that God's word is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. I'm pretty sure the original text did not say the word of God is breathed, uh, the, the word of scripture is breathed out by God, and it's useful to confirm what you were already thinking. When you're truly caring for the diet of your mind, when your thoughts are fed, maintained, and guided by the word of God, then a second thing for a truly transformed 2018, a truly transformed life, if you want to see the gospel radically transform you, live a supernatural life. Live 
a supernatural life. A supernatural life? That sounds pretty sensational. What's a supernatural life? Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now you have to notice, again, with the context of Ephesians, there is a direction for Paul in which he wants to bring the Ephesians, these Gentile believers, these Greek-thinking people, into unity with the church. And so that would be one people. And so what he's written here has a lot to do with that unity, with them becoming one. Different kinds of people from different backgrounds, different cultures, very different from one another. I'm telling you, that's a supernatural thing. People living in unity, that's supernatural. Turn on the news. Walk outside for a while. We are living in the greatest experiment of education the world has ever seen in the last couple centuries. And all that great education and all that wonderful democracy and all the incredible progress and we can't get on the same page. It's a hostile world out there. Politically speaking, our country has never been more polarized. When people come together like this, like the church of Jesus Christ, and they love one another, and they care for one another, and they gather, and even when they annoy one another, and bother one another, and sin against each other, they forgive each other, they long suffer with one another, they, they live in unity, that's supernatural. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Now with this list, it seems to be, it's not comprehensive for Paul. Everything we just saw, you know, speaking the truth, uh, do not get angry with one another, uh, or do not sin in your anger, I should say. Uh, uh, no, let the thief no longer steal. This, this isn't a comprehensive list of good Christian living. It seems to be very specific to the Ephesians, to their context, and some things he's addressing. First and foremost, regarding a unity with the church. That's the first thing he's addressing. But he seems to be hitting some different things. When your thinking has been transformed by the gospel, your actions will reflect that transformation. That's what's happening. It's supernatural. You literally become a new person. When by faith you have embraced Christ alone, by his grace alone, through faith alone, 
there's a miracle that happens. A miracle of rebirth. A new person. You're not the same person you were before you met Jesus Christ. You're not. You have been miraculously changed. That is a supernatural work of God. And it's a supernatural work that continues. He's still changing us. Thank God I'm not the same person I once was. It's supernatural. And Paul says, here's what God in you, supernatural, God, the Holy Spirit, living in you looks like. Here's what the Holy Spirit wants you to become, the new person in Jesus Christ. It's going to look totally new. It's a fixer-upper of the soul, right? He's doing a fixer-upper on us. He's taking some pretty rough people from some pretty rough thinking, some pretty rough attitudes, some pretty rough division between humanity and God. And he's changing us. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and try to carry it out. They mean something much more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now, in, the, in that very room where you are saying your prayers, is doing things to you, supernaturally. He also says, your real new self, which is Christ and also yours, and yours just because it is his, will not come as long as you're looking for it, it will come as long as you are looking for him. In other words, we don't have the, the power to go to war against our sin. But the more we focus on the Savior, the more we long for Him, the more we treasure Him, the more we spend time with Him and His people and His Word and in His Spirit, the more He will supernaturally transform us. It's a supernatural thing. That's why chapter 3 said in Ephesians 3, Now to Him who is able to do, in verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul says here in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what I'm saying is, number one, the diet of your mind, it's not the full picture of rebirth. I can think about something for a long time and not be changed. I can think all the right things and not be changed. The way I think is not the whole package of following Christ. Unless God transforms me and so transforms my thinking. I once heard a sermon by John Piper and he was talking about a different subject but very similar and, and, and understanding a right meaning of scripture was what he was talking about. To understand a right meaning of scripture is not enough in and of itself. That's like saying the aim of marriage is to come to a mutual understanding. You're all set. Well, we have a mutual understanding. We don't fight anymore. How's that? We have a mutual understanding. Marriage is so much bigger than a mutual understanding. It's intimacy. It's partnership. 
It's reflecting Christ. It's serving each other. It's having a common purpose in your household. It's just so many and on and on and on. So much more than a mutual understanding. Marriage is a very big thing, amen? So is walking with Jesus Christ. It's a very big thing. It's a miraculous thing. And if God doesn't intervene, I'm toast. Therefore, the mere thinking we come away with is not enough. The Bible calls us to believe in certain ways, to take on certain attitudes, and then to respond with certain actions. It's not just an understanding of Scripture, it's conforming my soul to it through faith. It's submitting, surrendering my will to it. It's giving myself in worship to Jesus Christ. And that's not merely natural. It's supernatural. Taking off the old, putting it to death, and taking on the new. It's supernatural. It's through faith that I receive the grace of God. It's through faith. It's the firm trust in the Lord that he is transforming me. That he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. It's a confidence through faith in the complete and abiding forgiveness in the cross. I never doubt my Lord's forgiveness because the cross was greater in scope and power than any of my sin. Believing now that that same grace that is transforming my entire life, and then listen, through putting off and putting on every day, I become a conduit of that grace. A conduit. That grace that comes to me, that, clean, that cleanses me of my sin, that forgives me and transforms me into a new person. It's by grace that I put off and I put on, and then I become a reflection of that grace to others in the body of Christ. And so it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those that hear. See that transformation? It gives to others. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you don't think it's hard to be patient in the church with people in the church, if you don't think it's hard to be forgiving, it's because you're that person. <laughs> Love you. God wants to totally transform your life in Jesus Christ. He never intended to save you from the penalty of sin just to leave you helpless under its power. He wants to transform your mind, which will transform your heart, which will give grace to others, your identity, your position in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You belong to the Lord. The Lord loves you. Harvest Joliet, the Lord loves you. And he is supernaturally transforming you to reflect his grace. And someday, someday, you and I, our very lives in this dark and depraved and lost world, are going to look like the best fixer-uppers that were ever done. Because we don't all have it all together right now, do we? We're not there yet. We haven't figured it out yet. But God's not done with you, friends. He loves you. He's changing your life. 
trust him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in your supernatural work, that we would surrender to your grace, that we would worship you in your forgiveness, that we would treasure you in your revealed truth, that we would take hold of the diet of our minds and the things that we think on and the things that we focus on, the things we reflect on, the things that we think on continually. We put to death thoughts that are either leading us astray or taking us captive too much. Even the good things that seem to consume our thinking and rob us of the treasure of thinking on Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are radically transforming us. That is good news. You didn't just forgive us. You're changing us to reflect the glory of Christ to one another and in this dark, dark world to reflect as a light shining so bright until the day that Christ returns. We praise you for that. I praise you for this church and the privilege to be with them, to worship with them, and to open your word with them. We pray for Pastor Eric that you would give him refreshing, that you renew him. What, what, a great, um, what a great privilege and blessing for these people to have someone who's so genuine and so loves them and so loves Jesus. And so may he be encouraged today, strengthened today, and come back renewed. We praise you for all of this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.